Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Hey, I wanted to give you a quick heads up. You could have heard this show early and ad-free if you signed up over at adfreeshows.com. It starts at just nine bucks a month, but you get all five of my podcasts here on Westwood One early and ad-free. Uh, this week, we've already examined on 83 weeks the 20-year anniversary of David Arquette winning the world title and also at adfreeshows.com we've got a face-to-face interview well as close as you can get in 2020 with david arquette and eric bischoff on video talking about all the shenanigans that arquette did in wcw the good the bad and the ugly we also broke down the awa super clash four with eric bischoff which i thought was maybe one of our more fascinating episodes yet because we heard from eric bischoff the fan and the young upstart hopeful in the wrestling business and not the, the world championship wrestling czar, not the businessman, Eric, but the fan, Eric, Eric also did a video conference with a college professor who broke down the firefly Funhouse match. And I think they even planned to do the boneyard match coming up uh, and who could forget the bonus episode where we talked about Eric's 83 days, his most recent run in the WWE, Arn Anderson. We broke down a little hashtag ask Arn anything this week. But maybe my favorite thing was doing a watch along with Arn, where Barry Windham turned on Lex Luger and joined the Horseman, dropping the tag titles to Arn and Tully in the process. The Midnight Rider would try to confront Barry Windham in the bad guy locker room and catch a beat down for his troubles. Such a special moment, and to hear Arn sort of light up talking about that was great fun. Uh, and he also told the backstage story about the fight between Vader and Paul Orndorff. He was in the room when it happened. Uh, also this week, we broke down Backlash 2006 with Tony Schiavone. You may famously remember that's where God was in the main event. That's a real thing. We also did a hashtag Ask Tony Anything. And man, you guys had some hysterical questions, including F Mary Kill. Can't believe Tony Schiavone is doing this in 2020, but he is. And it's happening at adfreeshows.com. Maybe one of the more interesting things we've done over there is we had Tony Schiavone watch Tiger King and break that down. Unbelievable. Uh, grilling JR, man, maybe one of our more active platforms here on the show. Every single week you get dark side of the podcast. Yesterday was no exception, but we also did a hashtag ask JR anything where you guys were in control. I got to ask the questions, but really the highlight was the bonus episode that we did right after the WWE cut a bunch of folks on the roster and JR broke that down. Sort of the good, the bad and the ugly. Speaking of ugly, one of our most requested topics on something to wrestle, we could never cover the plane ride from hell because Bruce wasn't there, but Jr. was, and he tells the full story at adfreeshows.com. Of course, with Bruce Pritchard, we're going to sit down and watch an old Saturday night's main event from 1990. One of my very favorite Saturday night's main events of all time. Uh, but really the thing everybody wanted to hear from Bruce was WrestleMania eight. That's also posted at adfreeshows.com. There's just a ton of stuff at adfreeshows.com. Lots of bonus content, including a video footage of some old live shows, with Bruce and myself from something to wrestle. And of course, every stage show from Starcast one, two, three, and four, well over a hundred hours of some intriguing content 
that I think you're going to dig. If you haven't already, check it out. It's adfreeshows.com. I hate Steven Singer. You know what else I hate? Everything happening in the world right now, our hearts break for those that have lost loved ones, those who are ill, struggling small businesses, and everyone affected by this. Now, normally, Steven Singer is in the love business and the happiness business, and this is the time when I would announce his new rose color for Mother's Day. But this year's different. I'm announcing his brand new I Love You 24 karat gold dipped rose. It's a beautiful pink blush rose color that will hopefully brighten your loved one's day. But Steven wants to put a little love in everyone's day, so he's using a portion of every rose sold to support local restaurants by purchasing catering for all the incredible nurses, doctors, first responders, and hospital workers who are all taking care of us right now. You can purchase an I Love You Rose and know you're sending love to the moms in your life while supporting independent restaurants and thanking essential workers. If you're looking to celebrate someone, simply say I love you or honor your mom on Mother's Day. Steven Singer is shipping as fast and safely as possible. Steven treats his customers as family and he's here for you. Go now to IHateStevenSinger.com for free and touchless delivery and include a free personalized message of love. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared. I ain't scared to shit. Fuck you, Bruce. I love you. God damn, kid. God damn it. What the hell show you got there? I need more. Ooh, yeah. What say you? Pronouns, pal. And now, something to wrestle with. Con Bruce Pritchard. He the second most recognizable athlete in the entire world today. Conrad Olsen. What happened when? Huh? What would Vince say about that? Well, hey, Vince. Bruce Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Oh, sleepyhead Jones. How are you this morning, Brucey? Did you get a good night's sleep? Sleepyhead Jones. I'm sleepyhead Jones. I'm sleepyhead Jones. No, that's basketball Jones. That's the wrong dude, man. I'm excited that uh, we got to kick it old school. I got to wake you up this morning. (laughs) Yeah, you did. Usually you we, did. Uh, we record the show a few days ahead of time whenever possible. Of course, last week was unprecedented time. So we didn't get to record until Sunday, but now we're recording at the crack of dawn on Friday morning, old school. And when Brucey slept through his alarm, I woke him up and now him barely awake. 
I'm sleepy. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, when you get fired again, this is going to be the best podcast ever because they have ran your ass ragged this time, buddy. Oh, fuck, man. Um, yeah, let me get into this shit. I'm good. I'm awake. I'm here. I'm alive. It's all good. Well, let's talk about backlash show five. It went down 15 God years ago, damn, man. I, I'm sorry. And so I come out and I said to my wife, I said, shit, I was supposed to be up an hour and a half ago. And she goes, yeah, your alarm kept going off. You just kept turning it off. I was, why the fuck didn't you come get me up? She just thought you wanted to sleep. Obviously I did. Okay. <laughs> I'm so, yeah, I've apologized to everybody. Like I held them up. I, anyway, I probably have. Okay. No, next. You, you didn't hold them up. Just me. And I didn't mind. I knew you needed the rest, but I, I got to tell you by definition, I think that makes today a sleeper episode. Wow. See what you did there. I do. I do. See, you took the thing around cause I'm sleepy head. And then, cause I was asleep, it's like, well, the subject matter is a slizzleeper, which means it'll be better than you think it was going to be. But then again, anyway. Okay. Woo. I got my first couple sips of caffeine. All right. Well, here we go. Let's talk about it. Backlash show five went down May 1st at the Verizon wireless arena in Manchester, New Hampshire, drew 14,000 fans. What a fun show this was 15 years ago. We're coming off of uh, WrestleMania 21. This is a raw branded pay-per-view at WrestleMania. We saw Batista win his first world title. Of course, he picked up a win over his mentor and stablemate from evolution triple H. And now here today, it's time for the rematch at backlash. We're also going to see the return of Hulk Hogan, at least in the ring. He's going to form a dream team of sorts with Shawn Michaels to take on Muhammad Hassan and Davari. But before we talk about the show itself, let's talk about some news and notes heading into the pay-per-view right after WrestleMania in April, WWE has a rash of releases. This is back in 05. You know, I've talked about this with, with Jim Ross and, and WWE was doing the same thing in 2000 and in, tw- and in 2010 and 2015, it feels like April is sort of uh, release month. And I don't know how long that's been the case. When do you remember WWE first adopting the, well, we used to hear back in the day that Vince Bruce and Pat would book like WrestleMania to WrestleMania. When you get through with that set of stories and it's time to set a, a new, a new course for the next WrestleMania and develop a new set of stories to get to the next year. That makes sense. If you're going to do what Jim Ross would call a roster purge, what's the, what's the thinking and when did this become. Uh, part of the process for WWE. Well, with any corporation, I think every year, every six months or so, you have to evaluate your resources and you have to evaluate your entire company. And that's what we did. Um, you have to look at your productivity. You have to look at if there's any dead weight hanging around or, um, if you need to cut, if you need to bring people on, you know, you don't get any publicity when all that happens. Um, but when you cut, it seems to get a lot of publicity in the negative. So it's just taking a look at your corporation a couple times a year and realizing that you either need to, some strength over here or you need to eliminate some. So that that's all it was. 
Uh, Wade would write Matt Hardy, Molly Holly, Rhino, Chili. I told you I just woke up. Sorry. Jesus Aguilera and uh, Paul Bearer were all released from WWE this week. It wasn't part of a systematic and planned post WrestleMania house cleaning, as each of the wrestlers whose tenures with WWE ended last week did something to prompt action. Most of them have 90 day no competes, meaning they cannot work elsewhere until mid July. Hardy was the biggest surprise of the bunch. Hardy was always on the verge of the chopping block in the eyes of some members of management, but was saved because of his relationship with Lita and the good crowd pops he received. Hardy had been one of the most outspoken WWE wrestlers. When the WCW crew arrived, he rubbed the incoming members of WCW management the wrong way. Most of whom have since risen to power, including Arn Anderson, fit Finley, and especially John Laurinaitis. Hardy gave management who weren't that high on him to begin with and held a grudge for his anti-WCW stance after the merger, the excuse they were looking for to unload him. While there are some strongly differing opinions, everyone in power felt he didn't have enough main event potential. If they felt they had to choose between Hardy or edge and Lita, they sided with the latter edge who had heat in the locker room with his colleagues for breaking up Hardy and Lita now faces increased animosity since it appears at least that contributed to the departure of Hardy a fixture of the tag team scene with his brother since the late nineties wrestling boom. So pretty monumental set of releases. No, not talking about chili Willie, but Matt Hardy, uh, this is something that gets a lot of attention. We've talked about this sort of triangle romance and, and all the drama and fallout very early in the something to wrestle archives, but let's touch on it again here, because this is a new piece of information uh, that I saw in my research that perhaps he had rubbed some of the WCW guys when they came over the wrong way. And he specifically lists Arn Finley and, and Laurinaitis. What can you tell us about Matt Hardy and his lack of uh, bedside manner for these WCW guys coming in? I don't think that had anything to do with it. And I think that that is just something that was created, created out of a narrative for whatever reason. Um, you know, unfortunately for Matt, the situation took place with Lita and the breakup. And instead of kind of going with it, Matt made an issue out of it pretty much with everybody. And it was unfortunate. So um, it just, it made it harder to do business. So when you look at it and you've got all these elements and if you remove one element from the situation, the situation becomes better Then, unfortunately that's what you have to do. And that in a nutshell is pretty much what happened to Matt during that time. I think that he took out his frustrations and his feelings on everybody and everything um, just wasn't a healthy atmosphere. Lord, I know we're not talking about current stuff here on the show, so I want to make that clear because that's something we agreed when he went back, we weren't going to do. Uh, but th it's written here that maybe management never saw Hardy as a main event guy. Uh, he, they didn't think that he had main event potential, but they did see that for edge. And of course we know what edge went on to accomplish. Whereas Jeff did have some top of the card runs and singles action that never really happened in the WWE for Matt Hardy. Do you think that was the case? His entire run that for whatever reason, Vince just didn't see him as a main eventer. Probably so. Uh, I think that, uh, if you look at 
the two, Jeff was Jeff was a star. Jeff had the charisma. Jeff had that it factor, and Matt was a little bit more of the cerebral of the two. As time went on, I believe that for those that knew Matt and knew both of them, early on you would say that Matt was going to be the star and that Jeff, you know, ah, Jeff will have a, a decent career. As time went on and Jeff kind of came out of his shell, it became the opposite. Um, but they're both just highly creative and they're both damn great talents. It was Jeff whose star was shining the brightest at the time and a little bit harder to find a place for Matt's to shine. You know, since I've been working from home more lately, I found how important it is to make myself get outside every day. I guess I sort of took it for granted before, but not now. Uh, I'm enjoying being outdoors a lot more, and uh, I've recently stumbled across something that made it even more fun to spend time outdoors. A rad power bike. What a great way to get outdoors. Now, listen, I have to admit, I didn't know a lot about electric bikes or e-bikes, but once I started to learn a little more, dude, I'm in. Check this out. Rad Power Bikes is getting tons of great press. They were voted best affordable electric bike in five categories by Electric Bike Review. They're the largest bike brand of their sort in North America. And I got to tell you, I didn't know when I first heard about Rad Power Bikes, like, what is that? Well, here's the deal. It's like a cross between a traditional bike and a moped, but it doesn't require the same type of driver's license or a special driver's license like a moped would. And what's unique about Rad Power Bikes is they're built for every purpose, whether you're just wanting to get around town or get outside or run errands, whatever it is, you can do it. And maybe best of all, it's super affordable, especially compared to other folks. What I found is a lot of the competitors for Rad Power Bikes, and they're like more than three grand. Meanwhile, everything at Rad Power Bikes is very affordable. The bikes start at just 1200 bucks. All of them are under 1500. But what's really fun about this to me Dude, you can get up to 20 miles an hour without pedaling. So you can go out and enjoy nature without getting all hot and sweaty. Tremendous. And by the way, to show appreciation for those that service, Rad Power Bikes is offering $100 off all e-bike purchases for active and ex-military first responders, teachers, and students. They even have a dedicated United States-based customer support team seven days a week to answer any questions you may have. This makes an incredible gift for someone who likes being active or outdoors. And Rad Power Bikes right now is offering flexible financing for as little as 0% APR. And right now, as a limited time offer, you even get a free accessory with the purchase of a bike. That's right. Get a free gift up to $100 in value and free shipping to the lower 48. To get this special offer, just text the word BRUCE to 64000. That's BRUCE to 64000. Text BRUCE to 64000. And we thank Rad Power Bikes for sponsoring the show. It does feel like this is maybe one of the first times that the internet plays a big role in what you guys are trying to do. Uh, because the Matt Hardy release is a major topic online and it becomes, um, something that even takes over the shows a little bit when, whenever edge would come out in England, there are thunderous boos and chants. We want Matt. We want Matt. Uh, and then maybe some that said you screwed Matt, but when they're chanting, we want Matt, 
edge doesn't know where to go from here. I mean, it's overwhelming. So he mouths, well, you're not getting him. They don't even bring Lita out to the crowd because just thunderous booze. So in a weird way, there's this grassroots effort that, that Matt's doing online and, and rallying fans behind him. But just this news, he sort of becomes the, the sympathetic baby face and, uh, he starts doing media and says things like, um, management is quote, closing their eyes and hoping this goes away, but that's not happening. Uh, and all of a sudden you guys are faced with, Hey, did we make a mistake? Was there money in this? And we just didn't see it. What do you remember, you know, feeling in the office mood being when this all happens, you know, he's gone. All right. The, the train keeps on rolling, but wait a minute. The fans aren't done with it yet. They want more of this. Well, I think that, you know, it wasn't, at least for me, it wasn't the, as you said, the internet backlash. It was, and maybe it was, but it was definitely the reaction live in the arenas right. where people cared. And it was also a natural story. It was so, um, it was real. It was natural, but neither one had shown any desire to take the real life and, and turn it into a story. And sometimes from the outside, if you requested, if you pitch a different way of looking at it, people will listen a little more. And I was on the outside. I, I was in Texas. I wasn't in the bubble so to speak. So it was real. I, I mean, I remember Kurt Angle and, and Jeff Jarrett and TNA, and I pitched that the first time when I got there, and I was told that will never happen. There was a little old lady in Dallas, uh, Dixie Carter's mother, that would never let that happen. I said, well, does she, is she afraid of making money? Is she afraid of good story? What What's the problem? Um, and eventually we did it. This was kind of the same thing in that I didn't have to live it up there all the time. I was I was in Texas. So I would come to TV and I got that instead of living it day in and day out of whatever controversy that there was. Right. I was just looking at it on the outside, looking in, going, hmm, well put them in the ring together and blow this story up and tell the truth and enhance it. You got something there. Absolutely. And there was not a, there was not a desire as we talked about in the, the whole love triangle in our other show. There wasn't a lot of desire with any of them to do it until it got to a fever pitch and realized, well, if Matt would come back and if edge and leader willing to, jump on board, this could be a hot, hot issue for everybody involved and phone calls were made and everything was done. And, uh, I had to have that wonderful meeting with them in the back of a limousine and everything worked, but it was the audience. Yeah. The audience and, and their passion, they, they definitely made people rethink, but at the same time, the story was there. The story was so easy. Cause it was real. Let's talk about something else. That's real. Wade Keller would report that there was a 
a bit of a situation WrestleMania weekend between JBL and Lance storm. Now at this time, Lance storm is one of the trainers at WWE's Ohio Valley wrestling in Louisville, Kentucky. And he's telling some of the wrestlers that he's training about what to expect when you get called up to the main roster. And he makes a comment about how the SmackDown locker room is more old school and there's likely to be more hazing there. Of course, Lance frowns upon that and thinks it's passe and unprofessional. He even mentions JBL and hardcore Holly by name as two perpetrators to be leery of. And he tells one of the young guys who maybe ran his mouth in a way that JBL didn't like when he said something like, um, being relegated to tag matches that offends JBL. And so he takes him to wrestlers court. Lance storm says, don't play by those rules. Eventually all of this gets back to JBL and Bob Holly. And when they see Lance storm, Bob Holly tells him to fuck off and JBL cuts a scathing promo and challenges him to a fight. Uh, of course, Lance storm tries to deescalate the situation. Some would say it looks like Lance was backing off, uh, from a fight and others would say JBL was just overreacting and maybe looking foolish. I know you weren't there for this, but you probably heard about it. What'd you hear about the JBL OVW Lance storm dust up WrestleMania weekend? Oh, I think it was much ado about nothing in. Just look, you know, the the way that our locker rooms were, we had locker room leaders and we had guys that ran their locker rooms in a little different way. So that's the way it was at the time. And it was more of a fraternity and the boys looked after each other and they policed their own locker rooms. To me, that's a good thing. I think that it's good when you have the boys that take care of their own issues. If they get out of hand, then people have to step in and take care of it. But it wasn't what people would call, you know, the hazing and the bullying. I disagree with that. And at least from what I saw and from what I experienced, and I think that it just got blown out of proportion perception wise for people that didn't care for, either John or Holly or whoever the hell else that they wanted to pick on at the time. In, in, in many ways, you know, the, the, the wrestling media and a lot of them have, have tried to bully and, uh, people with their words and things that they weren't even there for. So I think it was much ado about nothing more than anything else. Wade would write the attitude within WWE right now towards both Batista and Cena is that they are not measured against the rock, Steve Austin, or even Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. When they were all top babyface champions, Vince McMahon has made it clear to the internal critics that Cena and Batista are there because of the lack of fresher, more ready options in his view. And thus it's expected. They will all make mistakes or not get pops comparable to Austin or rock at their peaks. They are quote unquote projects who have weaknesses at this point. And everyone is expected to help either camouflage or eventually eliminate through tutoring and working with them. Quote, neither of them is better than mid carters by the standards of 15 or 20 years ago, but they have varying levels of charisma and marketable looks says one WWE insider. Cena is considered stronger on the mic with youth on his side. There will be more patience with him. Batista is considered weaker on the mic, but moreover at this point as the top level draw, one insider doesn't like this approach stating. How many examples are there of more seasoned wrestlers 
who are more ready for this kind of push, who have been saddled with lame comedy acts, which mean nothing while Batista is being pushed into this top spot prematurely. So some criticism here, and we've sort of talked about, you know, just the mentality of Vince McMahon, uh, and well, WWE creative as a whole, as we're sort of transitioning, you know, by Oh one, you've eliminated all of your competition and you feel like you've done everything. So let's try something new. Well, we'll try Austin as a heel that doesn't work. So by Oh two, Hey, let's try something new. Let's, let's push Brock Lesnar and Kurt angle and let's see what we can do. And then by Oh three, well, okay. Now let's try and maybe do something a little different with rock and Austin as like a last hurrah and by Oh four. Well, Lesnar and Goldberg, they want out of here. Let's go with a smaller, more in-ring work rate. Maybe they don't have the big charisma and the big promos, but they got great matches. Damn it. Let's go with Benoit and Guerrero. And then by 05, we're pivoting again. And it just feels like it sort of becomes rent slather repeat. This time, uh, we're going back with larger stars, but maybe they don't have the in-ring skill that maybe an Eddie Guerrero and Benoit do it's John Cena and Batista. Did it feel like every year you guys were trying to reload and try something new in an effort to find the next Hulk Hogan or the next Steve Austin? You're always looking to try. You're always looking for that star that's going to break out of the pack and be the next mega superstar. So at this time, yeah, these were two guys that we looked at that we felt based on not not just their work and what have you, but their attitude, their personality outside of the ring and their willingness to go the extra mile, which is what you need with a top guy. You need someone that can hold his own on the Today Show or on late night television. You need someone that can get out of that. And both of these guys, they both look good. They both spoke well and they had enough charisma that the audience was going to care about them. They may not love them and cheer them. Go, oh my God, here's my fucking hero. But they would care one way or the other. And both John Cena and Dave Batista fit that bill to a T. So yes, it was time to experiment and time to put them out there and sink or swim, throw them out in the deep end and let's see what happens. In hindsight, do you think that, uh, Vince is trying to run different experiments on both shows? I mean, on some level, not to overthink this, but it feels like we need a SmackDown sort of tent pole and we need one for raw. We got to have leaders for both. We got to have flagships for both is the thinking at the time. And I know that, you know, some of this stuff you guys never want to admit, I understand, but Raw's always been Vince's baby until, you know, maybe last fall, but if we've always heard that raw was the a show. Is that the thinking that, Hey, it seems like Raw's the a show. We feel like Batista is going to be the, the guy who really breaks out of the two. We're going to stick him on raw. No, I think that raw raw was the flagship show. And if they want to call it the a show, then they can call it anything they want. But when SmackDown started, it was on broadcast television. So it was, in many people's opinions, including mine, it was the A show because it had more eyeballs, uh, the opportunity to have more eyeballs on it. And Raw was cable cast, one was broadcast, one was cable cast. But they were different. They had a different feel about them, just in general. 
So I think the audience and the talent and people that know that that kind of needles some, some people, oh, you're on the A show, oh, you're on the B show, that kind of shit. Um, I think that people just perpetuated that perception and kind of made it into more than it actually was. But without a doubt, I think if you were to ask people in the office, if you were to ask the talent, that they would give you that same perception. Oh, yeah, Raw's the A show. Don't disagree. I don't, I don't agree with it. I disagree with it, but I think that would be the general perception, yes. I hate Steven Singer. You know what else I hate? Everything happening in the world right now, our hearts break for those that have lost loved ones, those who are ill, struggling small businesses, and everyone affected by this. Now, normally Steven Singer is in the love business and the happiness business. And this is the time when I would announce his new rose color for Mother's Day. But this year's different. I'm announcing his brand new I Love You 24 karat gold dipped rose. It's a beautiful pink blush rose color that will hopefully brighten your loved one's day. But Steven wants to put a little love in everyone's day, so he's using a portion of every rose sold to support local restaurants by purchasing catering for all the incredible nurses, doctors, first responders, and hospital workers who are all taking care of us right now. You can purchase an I Love You Rose and know you're sending love to the moms in your life while supporting independent restaurants and thanking essential workers. If you're looking to celebrate someone, simply say I love you or honor your mom on Mother's Day. Steven Singer is shipping as fast and safely as possible. Steven treats his customers as family and he's here for you. Go now to IHateStevenSinger.com for free and touchless delivery and include a free personalized message of love. That's I hate Steven singer.com. You know, this whole breakdown of, Hey, we're here to camouflage their weaknesses. And, um, and isn't that what you do for everybody? I mean, that's an old thing that we've heard as wrestling fans for Paul Heyman. You hide the negatives, accentuate the positives, you know, let's not focus on what we don't have. Let's focus on what we do. Well, that just seems like, like what everybody has tried to do in wrestling for, for generations. That's not necessarily new for, for Cena and Batista, right? No, it's not. And that's how you make stars is you find what makes them unique and you exploit it. Exactly. Turn the volume up is another phrase that we hear. You find what they're good at and turn the volume up. So, uh, let's go to, uh, the torch for some more notes here. He says there are mixed feelings about the second raw diva search within WWE management. Some are in favor of it, namely Stephanie and Kevin Dunn, who see it as a dose of reality TV to mix in with the wrestling. The hope is to find another Christy Hemi who can eventually not just do a playboy shoot, but also become a good wrestler and work like Trish Stratus and Lita. However, there are strong, but muted opinions among others in WWE that it's a colossal waste of time and money. And that it is created because certain people in management enjoy the perks of the competition process. So talk to me a little bit about the diva search. You know, we've touched on this a little bit before, but I don't know that I know your opinion. Did you like it? Did you think it was entertaining TV or are you more Jr. old school? Uh, I don't want to see that shit. It was a, it was a train wreck. It was train wreck television. And I was not a big fan of it from the standpoint of it was a tough sell. You had a tough sell to the talent that were there. When they look at it, they go, oh, my God, a million-dollar diva search. There in their head was, okay, whoever wins this diva search that day gets a million-dollar check. Here you go. 
it's not how it worked, folks. Um, if you won, then you got a contract, but that contract, you know, had cut clauses in it and everything else. So the the diva search, what I did not like about it at the time was that the feeling from the contestants was one of I'm here to I want to be a star. I don't care about WWE. I don't care about uh, the rest of the talent. And that's just not a good attitude to have, in my opinion. I think that if you're there, then you want to be a part of the team and you want to do your best and you want to be the best that you can be, not just I want to win a million dollars. And that was that was probably my biggest knock on it. It was difficult to program and it was um, the contestants for the most part my opinion, uh, just weren't always the easiest to work with. And they, they had different varying degrees of views of the business and what they wanted to do and why they wanted to be in it. There were those that wanted to be in it and excel. I remember, uh, specifically like Michelle McCool, who wanted to be in the business. She wanted to learn. She wanted to do whatever it took. And she was willing to bust her ass, and she wanted to learn more than just what we were doing at the time. Uh, there was another one. Joy was another one that just wanted to to learn. And then there were those that just wanted to be the number one diva. We should mention uh, Ashley Mazzaro winds up winning in 05. Uh, let's talk about Brock Lesnar. WWE is going to file countersuit against Brock Lesnar and stop sending royalty payments. And it's because he appeared at the new Japan, January 4th, Tokyo dome event, which we now know was wrestle kingdom. He didn't wrestle, but he was seated ringside with his fiance at the, we know her as Sable. And of course his old pal, Brad Rangans. But the deal is apparently new Japan advertised him ahead of time, which means he couldn't have just attended as a spectator uh for the record wade would say he was transported by a new japan limo and met with new japan folks so he's definitely not just a spectator which nobody thought he was you guys are wise to this part of the agreement when you release him or allowed him the opportunity to be released from his contract was that he couldn't work in pro wrestling or mixed martial arts until 2010 well it's still 2005 here so clearly he's uh he's broken that what do you remember about this? This is the first time that it feels like we're really brushing up against each other, WWE and Brock Lesnar. Well, it's the first time brushing up against him since he left. And the feeling was that if he could, you allow him to do one thing, then you've got to allow him to do others. And that was, it was that simple. It was a legal issue of protecting the contract. And Brock had left early with the understanding that he couldn't, do anything in the wrestling space and you, you've got to protect that. So that was really all it was was saying, Hey, uh, uh-uh, that's still within the world and it's still within where the WWE promotes. So had to do something. Let's talk a little bit about an incident that happened overseas. Wade would write, there was an incident between some drunk martial artists and WWE wrestlers at the Hilton hotel lobby in Birmingham on the overseas tour on Sunday night. 
The wrestlers present manhandled and restrained the drunk kickboxers until police arrived to restore order in the lobby in the parking lot. There were some bloody noses, but no serious injuries. Quote, the wrestlers essentially subdued the idiots until the police arrived. Uh, it's also written that Dave Batista restrained, uh, cash Gill, a six foot three ex kickboxing world champion during the melee and the UK sun would write terrified guests dived for cover as the fighters squared up in a martial arts show, sending feet, fists, and glasses flying. They watched amaze as the boxers lashed out with a fury of acrobatic spinning kicks and punches while the touring grapplers hurled their opponents around the reception hall. Boy, it feels like they're trying to sell some papers. What do you remember about this event? Yeah, no shit. I, everybody was staying in the same hotel and the, the, they had an MMA show and then we had had our live events there. So by the time everybody got back to the hotel, it was the MMA guys going, oh, it's a bunch of fake wrestlers. It's the wrestlers going, oh, hey, look at the shooters. Um, and just a lot of testosterone in that bar. And then you add alcohol to that. Not a good scene. And I think one, you know, led to one guy calling out one guy to another one, backing him up to somebody else, backing him up to where eventually, and I was not there from what I heard from people who were there and a part of it, that they eventually got out into the hotel lobby and basically kind of squared up on opposite sides of each other. And the MMA guys threw the first punch and, and it was on and it didn't last that long because as legend has it, um, that the, the boys subdued him. They had already called the police. The hotel security had already called the police because they saw what was going on in the bar. Right. And in the bar, there was a lot of fuck you, fuck yous, and, oh, well, let's go outside and let's do this. So there was a feeling from the hotel security that something was going to happen. And so the police were on their way. It wasn't like, okay, the, you know, they had the fight and we we're going to hold them down. Now call the phone, the police, and you wait for the police to get there. They were already on their way. So by the time the fight happened, the police were pretty much there. And on all accounts, keep in mind, the only accounts that I heard from our boys was that the WWE guys pretty much dominated and, and took them down and did what they needed to do. And the police all got there and separated everybody. I don't even think any arrests were made. It was just, okay, you go your way, you guys, bars closed, everybody go away. And then there was no more about it from that point on. Let's talk about, uh, some sad news, April 28th, 2005, just four days after breaking his ankle during a match in TNA, Chris Candido passes away. He had surgery to repair it. He has a blood clot that forms when he's flying home. And unfortunately it causes him to pass away. Uh, Chris wrestled as skip in the WWF. We lost him way too soon. Any fun or, or, or interesting stories you can share with us about Chris besides the, uh, if I wanted to hook you, you'd be hooked for Briscoe. You know, it's, I often times used to make fun of Chris from the calling him Skippy because there was so much. It, Chris was such a talented, God damn. I mean, you talk about 
someone having it all. Chris had it all. And Chris could work. Chris could talk. And if he was six, six inches taller, would have been the world champion. Yeah. Chris also had the attitude of, of someone that was eight feet tall and 300 pounds. Um, had a chip on his shoulder because he was a bit smaller than the rest of the guys. But if you got to know Chris, Chris was like a child in many ways. He just wanted to be a wrestler. He just wanted to, to go in the ring every night and have a match and take the audience on a ride. And that's what I loved about Chris Candido. He was just a pure fan with a pure love of the business. One of the funniest Candido stories was when he became the NWA world champion. He was in a airport and he goes to the bathroom and he looks over and there's Luthez. Mm. He had never met Luthez before. This is in, had to be in the 2000s, I guess, or no, maybe 90s. What had to be the 90s? when Chris was NWA champion for this is when the NWA had, was basically the king of the Indies. Right. And he was, Oh my God, there's Luthez. So to him, there's a walking, talking God in the flesh standing next to him at the urinal in 94, by the way, 94. And Chris introduces himself. Hello, Mr. Thez. And, and he goes, I'm Chris Candido. I, I this is so surreal. I, I'm the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, and and to to see you now and to meet you, this is such a huge honor. And Thez says to him, he says, Well, kid, he goes, I'll give you some advice. Just always make sure that you get your correct percentage on the belt. Now. What's comical about that is back in the day, Thez, you know, was drawing houses and the champion drew and the champion got 10% of the gate. And, you know, Lou would always go out and try and count the house and try to figure out what his percentage should be. Well, now with <laughs> times had changed, times had changed greatly in that the World champion didn't get 10% of the gate anymore, and then the NWA didn't get their percentage and all the other bullshit that went along with it. And Chris just was so tickled at the fact that Lou, in many ways, was so out of touch that he still thought that the NWA championship meant that Chris got 10% of the gate, and then Chris started doing, doing the, the ciphering and figuring. He goes, fuck, I'd lose money if all I got was 10% of the fucking gate. <laughs> So it was, it was always that innocence and just a, um, a pure love of the business that Chris had and to lose him so young for a freak accident, which is really what it was. And, and something going horribly wrong. I think that the business lost a, a hell of a talent that day. Because Chris could have taught, 
Chris could have continued on. And as the business changed and morphed over the years, I firmly believe that Candido could have been one of those that could have excelled above and beyond what he did because he had that kind of heart and that kind of talent. Okay. Here's one of the worst kept secrets around me and my co-host here on this network. We absolutely love our dogs. You've heard all about Eric Bischoff's dog, Nikki. Everybody knows about Tony Schiavone's bug. Of course, everybody knows that Bruce claims that Dodger is the official something to wrestle dog. I could go on and on. But what you may not realize is that a lot of our dogs health, at least 80% of the immune system is influenced by the gut and supporting that immune system through proper diet and digestive health enables pets to better fight environmental allergies. Solid gold, a great partner of ours here on the show is passionate about gut health because a healthy digestive system positively impacts the immune system and overall wellness of our pets. And here's the deal. Solid Gold was the first holistic pet food company in America way back in 1974. It was started by Sissy McGill. Now, Sissy was a trailblazer and a pioneer who disrupted this male-dominated industry and created a natural pet food before it was cool. Now, she was inspired by European pet food and the fact that European Great Danes outlived their American counterparts. And her first recipe has now provided high-quality nutrition and digestive health for more than 20 generations of dogs. Solid Gold's nutritional platform is inspired by their founding belief that high-quality food is the best way to impact our pets' mind, body, and spirit. And for more than 45 years, Solid Gold has revolutionized this holistic pet food category. They've got a recipe for any dog or cat's dietary needs, including whole grain and grain-free options, wet food, and supplements like sea meal, and of course, Dodger's favorite, 100% human-grade bone broth for dogs. Solid Gold Foods are different because they cleanse the digestive system with whole superfoods. They balance with living probiotics, and they fuel with omega-3 and 6 fatty acids, all supporting gut health and nourishing your pet both inside and out. And right now, Solid Gold is offering our listeners 30% off their first order when you visit solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle. That's solidgoldpet.com slash Russell for 30% off your first order. Remember, that's solidgoldpet.com slash Russell. It's worth mentioning, you know, and I feel weird even saying this, but how fucking awesome would he be as a trainer at NXT? He'd be tremendous. He really would. And because Chris was very fundamentally sound. He loved the fundamentals and he loved the simplicity of wrestling. And that's what he wanted to do. And he, he did it better than anybody. So you take all of those things and, and it's, um, he would have been a great trainer. He would have been an excellent trainer. And I think he would have been a bigger star too. Let's talk about one of the biggest stars of all Hulk Hogan. Uh, he's the centerpiece of the mainstream advertising for this backlash pay-per-view, at least according to Wade Keller. He says WWE purchased a full page ad in USA today, promoting backlash, featuring a picture of Hulk Hogan. WWE's marketing strategy was to feature Hogan and Shawn Michaels as the top draw amongst the casual fans while pushing triple H challenging Batista as the top match when marketing directly to their fan base, watching the TV shows before we keep going, I got to tell you. I love that strategy. I know it's going to be criticized by some, 
but the idea is everybody knows who Hulk Hogan is everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people know who Shawn Michaels is. So we should definitely feature them to the mainstream. And then when they tune in and hopefully they do, they'll see how great Batista and John Cena and this new crop of stars are, but you've got to have somebody sort of out front to attract a familiar name to attract that old school fan. And then maybe hope that they give you another shot with these new guys, right? Always has been the case. Get the eyeballs in there. And when they're in there to watch something else, show them what you're really selling and get them hooked, get them hooked on the new breed and get them hooked on the, the new talent. The elder statesmen may bring them in, but the young ones will bring them back. You know, if you guys were running a bar, then you would, you know, back when bars were a thing, uh, people would, would run promotions where it's like, oh, it's penny beer night. Well, they're not making any profit when they sell you beer for a penny. They hope that you'll come by and try the beer for a penny and Hey, then you, maybe you'll get hungry and you'll eat some other food. And then you'll say, you know what? Now it's time for some shots. And hopefully you have a good enough time that you'll come back another day when it's not penny beer. And in, in, in real life, that's called a lost leader. That's sort of what you're using Hulk Hogan here for at the time, right? Bring them in, baby. Bring them in and get that penny. You know, I don't think that they ever really with penny beer it was either usually like fucking Lone Star or Pearl or some kind of just uh water piss that was well, some all, off brand beer too. It, it's always draft and it's in a tiny cup. And you know, the idea is you'll get frustrated with the tiny cups and you'll order uh, a mixed drink or a cocktail or a shot, but maybe you'll have enough of this penny beer. You'll also gorge yourself on some shitty nachos or whatever it, but it was a business strategy to say, Hey, look what we've got. And you're not really making money on that. And that's not really your primary product, but it's one that they're familiar with. And when they come in, Hey, let's sell them some other stuff. Yeah. But in Texas, it was quarter pitchers because everything's bigger in Texas. Well, not everything. Well, you know, uh, let's keep going here. Um, Batista Hunter gets top billing on the lineup on the WWE.com backlash page. Many cable operators call subscribers with a recorded message from Hulk Hogan, which said maniacs, this is Hulk Hogan. Watch my return to the ring this Sunday at backlash on pay-per-view and WWE.com sent out a video message from Hulk Hogan to its email list, plugging the pay-per-view and regarding the return, they had him set up an interview with the associated press. And he says, hopefully I can be the Babe Ruth of wrestling. And, uh, of course he plugs his new TV show on VH one. It's called Hogan knows best. We're kind of totally opposite of the Osbournes because my wife, Linda and I run a tight ship. Well, that show's going to be a source of frustration for Mr. Hogan, but I love the idea of you guys doing a voicemail drop, telling wrestling fans, watch me on pay-per-view. That's tremendous, dude. Oh shit. Did you not get those back in the day? No, but I love, I, oh, I would have died to get yes. a voicemail from Hulk Hogan. That would have been awesome. Yeah, man. Whenever, if you had ever purchased a pay-per-view, I know back in the day we used to do it with viewer's choice and we would record just that little liner. Hey, reminded you this Sunday at, you know, whatever time WrestleMania and do that with everybody. You'd answer your phone. That was before robo calls and robo killers and all that other shit. Well, let's talk about another killer. Wade would write. There were some changes with the WWE creative team this past week. 
Brian Gerwitz, the senior. Did you say Brian Gerwitz? Yeah, that's what you that. that's what you want me to do. You told me never ever say gee words. Yeah, Gerwitz. You want the R before the W, even though the R is at the end. Right? I just want you to say it uh in Hillbilly. Brian Gewitters. There you go. <laughs> the senior writer on the WWE creative staff is taking a leave of absence from wrestling uh to script a movie for WWE. Brian has worked closely with Vince and Stephanie on the scripting of Raw and oversight of SmackDown. He said to be in great standing with management and this time off as a chance for him to take a breather from the week to week grind of writing TV and produce a script for a future WWE movie project. Brian Ball accounts as loved by the McMahons due to his dedication, accessibility, and long hours fulfilling the McMahons vision for Raw and SmackDown each week without making waves or contradicting their concepts too often. Larry Mullen, meanwhile, is the latest addition to the WWE writing team. His TV writing credits date back to 1977. He scripted episodes of Chips, Knight Rider, The Practice, Beverly Hills 90210, Leap Years, and other less notable television series. He was also co-executive producer of Beverly Hills 90210 in 1990 and previously was a uh, consulting producer and supervising producer between 93 and 97. He also appeared as himself on the E! True Hollywood story of Beverly Hills 90210, which was produced in 2001. So a lot to unpack here. Let's start at the end and work backwards. I never heard of Larry Mullen in wrestling. Why is that? Neither is anyone else. Yeah. That's what I wanted to say. Like, even when you're listing credits, dude, you're listing shit from the seventies and like Knight Rider was the jam when I was like riding a three wheeler as a kid, this is old shit. Who was so enamored with Hollywood script writers and thinking that they could do what you guys did. Well, a big part of it was trying to get outside of the bubble and bringing writers with a writing experience to bring them into your content and hopefully then they can create characters and add some depth to the writing process itself. And that was the feeling not like all writers can't write on friends or they can't all write on Chicago ER or whatever the hell. Um, they, you know, you have to have the, have the right mix. And Brian Gewertz is to me, a perfect example of someone that came from that world and was able to adapt. Tommy Blanchett was, came from that world and was able to adapt. Freddie Prinz came from that world and was able to adapt. Um, and write the story because they were fans and they loved the business and they were students of the game. Just because someone is, is a great writer doesn't mean that they will be a great writer for the WWE. Um, some, you know, some would be, uh, that there's guys that, that are out there that have had very successful shows. There's huge fans that couldn't make it and some that, that could, so Larry Mullen, I don't think I ever met Larry face to face. I talked to him several times over the phone, but Larry didn't, didn't go to TVs and wasn't around a lot. So yeah, I couldn't tell you one thing about him other than apparently, I think he was the bony finger guy, he had fingers like Lurch and the Adams family, but, uh, can't tell you for, for sure. Cause I never got to meet the guy. Did you really just say the bony fingers guy? Yeah. 
That's a hell of a way to remember somebody. That that's all I got to remember him about because I never had. I don't think he was there that long. He was maybe there a couple months. Wasn't even there. Wasn't even there. Well, I mean, in fairness, and I don't mean this to like poke fun because I know you're really sensitive to it right now, but there's no chance he had to spend the hours working on fucking Knight Rider and Beverly Hills 90210 that's required to make Vince McMahon happy on wrestling, right? There, uh, look, it's very demanding, and you're either willing to put in the time and the effort or you're not. And sometimes that can be a rude awakening. And the other thing about writing on a sitcom or a television show is you're writing 13 episodes at a time. Then you're done. Try doing it every week live. It's a huge difference. And there's there's no one else that does what we do. So that's therein lies the hard to find people to be able to come in and adapt. You got to find the right people. Well, not just that, but I'm saying, I doubt they're having fucking production meetings, you know, one in the morning and shit like that for chips. Pussies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, Wade Keller would write Roddy Piper talked to the UK press about his new TV project and noted there is a new five-year deal with WWE. Uh, That is not a contract that required him to work for WWE in any capacity. It's just a contract that gives WWE the right to market his likeness in various projects in exchange for Piper getting a share. I think this might be one of the first times that we heard about a legends deal. When do you remember legends deals becoming a thing? Well, hmm, probably about this time, frankly, uh, when we were looking at the when you look at WrestleMania one, okay, so here now you're at about what twenty two, something like that, twenty one, twenty two, and your WrestleMania main event, they're a little bit older now, and they actually are legends. So is there a way to tie them up and put them under contract, continue to utilize them for their name value to some laps fans? And create some new ones. So it was, I think it was about this time because it it had been 20 years since mania. It's uh, pretty remarkable though, that if this is the same era where you're saying, Hey, we got to market the old guys, you know, for the mainstream press, the, the, the names they're familiar with. And at the same time, it's when you guys say, Hey, what if we started doing legends deals? I mean, it just makes sense to me. You use that as, again, a way to have a name out there that fans recognize and then hope they fall in love with Batista or John Cena or whatever else. Do what you got to do. Let's keep it going here. Uh, Let's talk about backlash itself. We've been filibustering for like 50 minutes. Uh, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler introduced the show, the first match, and man, there's a lot to unpack here. Two of my favorites, Shelton Benjamin and Chris Jericho. Shelton Benjamin gets the win and retains the Intercontinental title in 14 minutes and 38 seconds. Wade would say very good match, but they had to win over the crowd, which at first wasn't reacting to either wrestler. 
Benjamin put in the most exciting in-ring work of the night with his innovative and expanding arsenal, including a leap from the mat to the top rope into a quick superplex. And that is remarkable to see, by the way. The crowd sided more with Jericho than Benjamin in the end, though Benjamin scored a three count after a series of leverage pin reversals. Jericho blew off Todd Grisham's attempt at a post-match ringside interview. Three and three-quarter stars. Man, I love watching Shelton Benjamin from this era. I love watching Shelton Benjamin from any era. One of the most gifted athletes in the history of the company. Fair to say? Absolutely. Shelton came in, was part of that Brock class with John Cena and Batista. And a lot of studs, so to speak. J.R. said, God damn, you're a blue chipper class or such a fresh. And Shelton, I think that, you know, first of all, he can do anything. To this day, he can do just about anything. Incredibly talented performer. Eh, maybe missing a little bit of that it factor, but a great performer and given the opportunity and being able to work with someone like a Jericho just makes him shine all that much more. I hate Steven Singer. You know what else I hate? Everything happening in the world right now, our hearts break for those that have lost loved ones, those who are ill, struggling small businesses, and everyone affected by this. Now, normally Steven Singer is in the love business and the happiness business. And this is the time when I would announce his new rose color for Mother's Day. But this year's different. I'm announcing his brand new I Love You 24 karat gold dipped rose. It's a beautiful pink blush rose color that will hopefully brighten your loved one's day. But Steven wants to put a little love in everyone's day. So he's using a portion of every rose sold to support local restaurants by purchasing catering for all the incredible nurses, doctors, first responders, and hospital workers who are all taking care of us right now. You can purchase an I Love You Rose and know you're sending love to the moms in your life while supporting independent restaurants and thanking essential workers. If you're looking to celebrate someone, simply say, I love you or honor your mom on Mother's Day. Steven Singer is shipping as fast and safely as possible. Steven treats his customers as family and he's here for you. Go now to IHateStevenSinger.com for free and touchless delivery and include a free personalized message of love. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Let's talk about Jericho for a minute because this is quite the tumble, at least to me. I mean, this guy, just a couple of years prior to this is closing WrestleMania, defending his undisputed championship. You know, he had just beaten the rock and Steve Austin in December of 01 fast forward WrestleMania 02. He's closing the show with triple H and now just a handful of years later, he's in the opener for the intercontinental title losing. And I know what you're going to say, because we've been, you've talked about this before. Oh, you can't be in the main event every week. I get that. But when was the undertaker or triple H or stone cold or the rock or John Cena or Batista after they'd been to the top of the mountain, when are they on the opening match and losing for the intercontinental title? Cena has been a lot of guys have been. And again, you you can't, again, you can't do it. And Jericho is the type of character that was able to do that and give you a great match. And it's a difference in philosophy where people look at the first match as the curtain jerker. That's not the case anymore. And it wasn't the case then. The entire show, if you're going to be on a pay-per-view event, then you better be worthy of being on the pay-per-view event, whether you're the first match or the last match. And that was a philosophy there. And Jericho and 
Sheldon is just as important as anything else on the card. I mean, Jericho, we've heard over the years, could be uh, pretty vocal. What's his attitude like in this era? God, I remember during this era, shit. I think Chris was on top of his game. You know, Chris understood the business, knew it had ups and downs. And you're you're moving as long as you're involved in the story. I think he was good. Let's talk about the next match. But, but first, I guess we should mention, Coach did interview Edge backstage. But let's get to the next match. It's Rosie and Hurricane, two of my favorites. And uh, they're going to be in there with William Regal and Christian. Also, the Heartthrobs. And then Simon Dean and Maven, uh, this feels like let's just throw everybody we got who doesn't have a match into a match. Let's break it down a little bit though. They do get plenty of time, uh, 13 minutes, 40 seconds when it's all over Rosie and hurricane are your winners. They're your new tag champs, uh, two and three quarter stars. And, and Wade would say it was much better than expected. And, uh, I don't know. I really liked it. What did you think of this one? Uh, talk to us about how it came together. You know, the pairing of Rosie and hurricane, because as a comedy act, it's maybe one of the best of the era. Of course, we know we lost Rosie way too soon, but superhero in training. This has, uh, this has Brian's fingerprints all over it. Doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, you know, hurricane was such a strong talent and it was a great character and you're looking for something to do with this big bastard, Rosie, Matt Anawaii, and he's he's got a smile that will light up a room. Just a really, really personal gentleman that if you didn't know him and you look at him from afar, man, that's a big, scary dude. So to try and lighten that up a little bit, and he took to the superhero in training, like just – Goose to what is it? Goose to a water, water to a duck. You know, he he took he liked it. He liked it a lot, Connie. And it they became a entertaining duo. Uh, you look at Tajiri and Regal, fucking off the chart. Great chemistry there. And there you go. <laughs> no, you got to tell me about the heartthrobs. We don't ever talk about them. Hard thoughts. I think one of those dudes worked in the office and wanted to be a wrestler and, and it quit the office and went on. Uh, there wasn't, there just wasn't a whole lot there. There were two young guys that had worked independence. had been able to come in. They did some enhancement work for us, uh, had a little dance gimmick, but not much more than that. I think that they want, you know, they, they, they were pigeonholed. I mean, they did one thing and that's all they did beyond that. It was a little hard to take them seriously or to develop them into anything beyond that. They feel like a gimmick right out of the eighties or early nineties. Uh, who would have been such a big fan of that? I mean, they're only with the company on the main roster for a year. They're talented individual performers. It just feels like the gimmick. Well, there's only so much you can do with it. It was, but even when you tried to take them out of the gimmick, that's all they did. That makes sense. They, 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 they didn't and couldn't grow in my opinion. Nice guys, super nice guys, sweetheart guys, but they just, 
as far as trying to draw any money with him or do anything beyond what you were doing with him, wasn't going to happen. Wade mistakenly said it was William Regal and Christian. It is, as you said, William Regal and Tajiri. That to me, uh, feels like one of the more underrated and entertaining pairings in the history of tag team wrestling. Completely by accident, just putting to Jerry in the scenes with Regal as general manager and to Jerry stealing the show every single time they, they just had wonderful chemistry without ever having to have a word spoken last, but certainly not least. Well, there's a lot of resistance. We've talked about them a lot, but I can't wait to talk about Simon Dean and Maven. This feels like this could have been your favorite tag team ever. Yeah, probably not. Why does Simon Dean hate you so much? I don't know. I, I have absolutely no idea, uh, at all, but, um, yeah, I could, I was asked maybe because I was asked, um, like one of those what's the first word that comes into your head. And they asked me about, and this is how much I fucking know it. Um, whatever his name was in ECW. And I said, who? Because I didn't know who the fuck it was. Oh, Nova. Okay, yeah. And I, I said, who? Maybe that. I don't know. What about Maven? Maven feels like a guy who I thought had a ton of upside, you know, featured in the first Tough Enough, eliminates The Undertaker from the Royal Rumble in 02, a big shock moment. It feels like, hey, man, he's got the personality, the charisma, the cool look. This guy's going to be a big deal. And then for whatever reason, it just doesn't work out. Uh, he had it all. And I, after the fact, we learned that he had some issues with controlled substances that might've led to his downfall. But I thought that, especially with his personality, he was such a good kid and real. He was genuine, very likable, but it just didn't, didn't translate to the audience. They didn't care. The next match is a last man standing match between edge and Chris Benoit at WrestleMania edge had won the first ever money in the bank ladder match, gaining himself a contract that gives him a title shot at the world heavyweight championship within the next year on the April 4th raw edge chose not to use his contract that night instead deciding to wait for the right opportunity. And when edge declines to force Batista into a title defense, Eric Bischoff then schedules edge in a match against Chris Benoit. Benoit wins the match by pinfall, doing a little roll up. And after the match, Edge attacks Benoit's injured arm with a steel chair. Two weeks later, Benoit and Edge are forced into another match, which also ends in a no contest, leading the Bischoff to book a last man standing match here. They get a ton of time. Uh, well, not as much as the most recent last man standing. 17 minutes, 59 seconds, uh, three and a half stars. The crowd. It's hot right away. You screwed Matt. Oh man. Then there's, we want Matt. I mean, the crowd's taking over the show, but really these guys are pulling out all the stops, but then there's something weird. Edge hits a bunch of spears and then he hits Benoit with a brick that he'd taken out of his briefcase. Benoit's down for the count. Wade would say very good match, but a bit repetitive. And the countdown rules took away from the drama rather than adding to it. It killed any momentum. And there's been a lot of folks over the years who have a similar take on a last man standing match that 
of all the different steps, this may be one of the more challenging ones to really get fans behind and keep them there. Would you agree with that? I think that the uh, whole idea behind last man standing match, you have to tell that story going into it and it can be, it can be difficult to do with certain talent. I thought that their match was excellent. I thought that they had a great match and were able to tell that story at the same time, you have got to have that heated rivalry that both of these guys want to put the other down. They want to put the other down. They want to put the other down to stay down. And while they both worked to that in the match, I don't know if the audience felt felt that same thing from them, if, you, if that makes any sense at all. They did it. They did it had a match telling that story, but maybe their build up to it beforehand might've needed to be a little bit stronger. This episode is brought to you by bluechew.com. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go. Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up bluechew.com. That's blue. Like the color blue bluechew.com brings you the world's first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, bluechew.com is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Bluechew is prescribed online by licensed physicians so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy and it ships right to your door, all in a discreet package. They're made in the USA. And since blue chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And best of all, there's no more awkwardness right now. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment for free. When you use our promo code Russell, just pay $5 shipping again. That's B L U E C H E W.com. The promo code is Russell. And you get to try it for free. Bluechew.com is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not my favorite step. I really like the performers in this match though. Uh, I think this era of edge is some of his very best stuff. what do you think about the chemistry between edge and Benoit? I thought they had great chemistry. You just took the words out of my mouth. Th- to me, this was edges coming out party. And this is where he just started to take it to a whole nother level that a lot of us didn't even realize he had, and it was good for him. It was good for him. Uh, After the match, we see Lita making out with Kane backstage. That was probably fun for everybody. And then Jerry Lawler interviewed the WWE divas in the ring. Chris masters is going to interrupt and take a female volunteer from the crowd. And after making fun of her for having hairy armpits and man like muscles, he puts her in the full Nelson. <laughs> this is silly shit, man. Yeah. That, that it was. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes Conrad, I just got nothing like, oh yeah, we did that. Yeah. 
I think the lady that, uh, is brought out of the crowd by Chris masters, is Melissa Coates, who I think is, uh, the genie character that's, uh, running around with Sabu these days. Uh, I ne- believe it is one and the same. Next up, Trish would tell Viscera to uh, concentrate on the task at hand, not the reward afterward. And this booking from 15 years ago, it's just flooded with stuff like this. I don't know. That's a little weird to me. Next up, we see Jerry. What's that? So don't get hot. Next up, we've got Kane and Viscera. Kane, of course, has lead on his side. Viscera has Trish Stratus on his six minutes and seven seconds. It gets half a star. Uh, Lita, uh, or Kane picks up the win and it's written here in the write-up by Wade. Lita hit tra- Trish with her crutch at ringside to stop her from interfering. When Viscera cornered Lita and wagged his tongue in her face, Kane surprised him with a big boot and a choke slam for the pin. And then Trish ripped on Viscera for losing. Listen, we know the silliness that is Kane and Lita. We've talked about that a little bit. I'm sure we'll talk about it more on a Kane episode, but Viscera Trish, what the fuck? What do you mean? What the fuck? How did that come to be? That's great shit, man. Big Viss, big daddy Viss. He was a lover. And Trish loved it too, man. It was just so that big bastard man romances some ladies. He had a silver tongue and some gold tifuses that just would not stop. Did you say tifuses? Tifuses. Okay. Like me, like I got these tifuses and they keep falling out and shit. No, nah, dude. Every time we're late, we're posting a show. Half the comments are what's wrong with Bruce's teeth today. So. Good Lord. Uh, next up, we've got Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels teaming up for the first time. They're going to take on Muhammad Hassan and Davari. So here's the gist of the backstory. The night after WrestleMania, Sean comes out thanking the fans for their support, but he's down on himself for losing. And before he can continue, Hassan and Davari come out and, uh, Hassan has some pretty pointed comments for Sean losing and Sean slaps him, which of course earns him a beat down. They leave him laying in the ring. And the following week, Sean approaches Bischoff and demands a handicap match. He wants Hassan and Davari. Bischoff refuses to schedule that match, but instead informs Michaels to find a partner and then says he'll grant him the match. So Sean makes a plea for Hulk Hogan to come back and team with him. And on the April 18th raw, uh, Hassan attacks Michaels until Hogan comes out and accepts the offer. So this is, you know, now we're cooking with gas here. We got something special. We've got Sean Michaels. We got Hulk Hogan on the same team, but it feels like something that just probably shouldn't have happened. Um, feels like two totally different eras is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't feel like they would have ever really crossed paths, but here it is. And we know what we're going to get at SummerSlam, but did we know right here? Like when did the, the plan for SummerSlam being Hulk Hogan versus Shawn Michaels, was that already in place at this point? I mean, was that the end of the story all along or was it more about, Hey, let's just do something with this Hassan character. At this point, it was doing something with Hassan and it was taking two great legends from two different eras and putting them together. It grew into the, the Hulk and Sean story. Once we saw what we had there, but it was, I found it highly entertaining because it's, it's two of the best. It simply is the two best from their eras. Well, there's no doubt about that, but it does feel like something where you would wonder, 
you know, how can these, how will these guys really work together? I mean, through the years we've heard, and I know almost every talent at some point who's there for a long time says they had some sort of special or different or unique relationship with Vince. And a lot of people, Jim Cornette included, have said that if you're going to you know, be a top guy there, you've got to have a relationship with Vince. But we've often heard that these two guys have maybe two of the most interesting relationships with Vince. Would that be fair to say? Well, they both have very good relationships with Vince in their own right. Well, I just mean, you know, at different points, we've heard that, you know, Sean would just hoot and holler and, and yell at Vince in, in front of other people. And it was just a weird thing that nobody would dare talk to Vince that way. But for some reason it was okay for Sean, not okay. Sean got away with it. That's a unique, I mean, that's unique to Sean. Is it not? No. And I don't know that Sean ever hooting hollered and, and shouted at Vince in public. Um, I think that that he had a relationship that he could pretty much say anything he wanted to Vince and, and he did, but you know, public displays, not so much. I think that that's just kind of urban legend. The relationship with, uh, Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon over the years has been described as love hate. Is that an app description? Yes. Yeah. I mean, and it depends on what time of month it is and, and things of that nature, because both guys, a lot of admiration and respect for one another, and they go through their, their periods. They, they both just feel like they're right though, all the time, right? No, I, I just think that it's, they're looking through different sets of bifocals at different times, if you know what I mean. They, they just see things differently sometimes so when they're on the, the same track, man, it's golden. But uh, sometimes they see things differently. Let me ask. I guess what I'm driving to is it feels like these are two of Vince McMahon's potential thorns in his side, so to speak. And now we're going to put them together. Is there ever a concern or consideration that, oh, man, we may be, we may be asking for trouble putting these guys together? No, I, I never felt that way. I don't think Vince ever did. It was an opportunity to, to have two of the biggest stars together at the same time. Fuck. Yeah. Let's use it. I don't think there was ever any kind of that concern at all. That's, that's negative bullshit. I can't wait for us to talk about SummerSlam 05. I don't want to talk about it too much here. I want to save some of it, but. Do you think they got through this program at this pay-per-view with Hogan and, and Sean being sort of the featured guys and, and they're working this tag against Hassan and Davari? Do you think they get through this piece and they're still getting along pretty well? And then it sort of derails later on. Like the part of me thinks the performer in Shawn Michaels thinks, eh, uh, Hulk Hogan. Okay. I'll get out there and try to make him look good. No problem. But the wrestling fan, Shawn Michaels has to be like, oh man, this is fucking pretty cool working with Hulk Hogan. But then eventually we see maybe that's not the smoothest thing in the world to process a little later. Well, I I think that at the time it was exactly what it was. It was putting both guys out there and then looking at it saying, shit, is there more money with us against one another? Right. And everybody wants to make money. You know, listen, every week I tell you that I can save you some money at savewithconrad.com, but I decided this week, let's do something a little different. Don't take my word for it. 
Let's read some five-star reviews that were just left this month for SaveWithConrad.com. Christopher in Indiana says the process was painless and easy, direct communication and quick responses to questions throughout the process. Honest advice put me in a position to save tons of money and pay off my mortgage quicker. Charles from Ohio. Jimmy is what made it great. He answered every one of my stupid questions with patience and grace. Randall from Ohio. Awesome. Right from the start. Being out of state was no issue. First family made everything super easy and convenient. They were available before, during, and after business hours. I cannot say enough good things. Brian from Missouri. Everyone was terrific to deal with. Jimmy was very professional and super easy to deal with. He answered all of our questions promptly and accurately. I would recommend Jimmy to anyone I know. Michael from West Virginia. Everyone was professional and made the whole process easy. The entire process took a month and every step of the way, someone was available when I had questions. Just an awesome company. Thomas from Tennessee. Derek was great to work with and made the experience easy and always reliable, always available to answer questions. Neil from Florida. Fast, friendly, knowledgeable. Randall from Ohio. Awesome. Right from the start. Being out of state was no issue. Steven from Ohio. Simple, fast, no issues and blew my previous mortgage company out of the water with great customer service and were always quick to get back to me whenever I had questions. Robert from Indiana, easy to keep in contact. I was able to use email and text messages for most of the deal, which made this very easy to get done. Five stars. John from Ohio. I love the texting and easy communication from this mortgage team. Closing was simple and awesome as well. Brendan from Arizona gave us five stars and said, great communication, great response times, just an overall great experience. Austin from Florida says, huge listener of Conrad's podcast and everything he says is true. He can help you save money and take years off of your loan. Jimmy was great to work with. Amazingly painless experience compared to others I've had. Thank you very much. And no, I should be thanking you guys. First of all, thanks for listening to the podcast. And second, thanks for trusting me enough to have a shot at saving you some money. But most of all, thank you for your business. And I hope you enjoy all of the savings that we provided for your family. But if you're listening to this and you haven't gone to savewithconrad.com yet, what are you waiting for? We're licensed in more than 40 states. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save money, we won't waste your time. But if you've got a 30-year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, you're overpaying your single biggest bill and you may not realize it. We're going to show you how to get the best interest rate possible and skip a couple of house payments. But in the process, you're going to save hundreds of dollars per month. And more importantly, pay your house off faster with cheaper monthly payments. If you're serious about keeping more of your own money and getting out of debt faster, retiring on time and eliminating your credit card debt, you should hurry to savewithconrad.com. Find out how much money you can save for free right now. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender, savewithconrad.com. Well, they get plenty of time here. 15 minutes, 20 seconds. You know what's happening. Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels pick up the win. Hulk starts out, then he tags in Shawn, who's going to sell for a while. Then uh, Hogan's hot tagged in and finishes off Tavari with the big boot and a Michael super kick. Two and a half stars. I mean, listen, for what it was, uh, the crowd was into this. I mean, these are two recognizable stars in a heel that's got a lot of heat that everybody is pretty firm about hating. We saw how well Hogan was positioned at WrestleMania. That felt like, man, let's get some more of that. Well, here's a double scoop, right? Absolutely. Because you got it. You get your, your double legend, man. It takes all, it takes both decades there and puts them together. 
Next up, we get an ECW one night stand commercial. This is for the first one in 05 and what a fucking special show that will be. We'll talk about it soon. Uh, Todd Grisham is going to interview triple H backstage and Christian does a little rap here about uh, JBL, John Cena, Batista and triple H. And that gets us to our main event. Batista defending his new world title against triple H. We should mention that on the April 11th raw, it was announced that Batista would defend the championship against triple H at backlash. And after triple H invokes his rematch clause, uh, the following week, triple H has a no DQ match against Jim Ross, which JR wins by pin. That's a real thing. Uh, after Batista interfered and of course hit triple H in the head with a chair on the April 25th raw, Batista would defeat Christian in a singles match. And after the match, triple H assaulted Batista hits him with the pedigree. Um, and, and I guess the story here is these guys get a ton of time, 16 minutes and 27 seconds. WWE was promoting it as triple H versus Batista two, but Wade would say it was a sequel that didn't deliver. He says their first match at WrestleMania was hardly a classic for the ages, but they took a step back with their rematch. Wade would say that Batista received great pops on the recent European tour, but didn't get the same reception in New Hampshire here from a crowd that seemed to had already peaked during the Hulk Hogan, Shawn Michaels match. And, uh, he would be critical of the work saying the plotting methodical match was safe, but it didn't put Batista in a position to fail by, by being too ambitious. This cautious approach left the fans nonplussed the in-ring styles of Hunter and Batista don't complement each other. Ric Flair at ringside for Hunter tried to interject some energy to the match as he attempted to interfere several times, but the match was built around whether Hunter could execute the pedigree hyped as his ultimate weapon to knock out Batista. He did hit it late in the match, but the ref was knocked out and he couldn't make the count before Batista had time to recover. Batista then survived a low blow and repeated interference from Flair and picked up the win with the Batista bomb. It's, uh, I don't know. In hindsight, should you have had, should the Hogan Sean match have closed? Should it have been earlier in the show? Should there have been a let me up match in between? What was the flaw here that maybe didn't make the main event feel as special? Well, I think it's a combination of a couple of things in that New Hampshire being Triple H's hometown. He also didn't have as many heel fans there that wanted to see him get his ass kicked. Um, And I don't know. It just was, you know, you have an off night. Had we moved Hogan and Sean earlier, I wouldn't have closed with Hogan and Sean at all. I definitely would have closed with Hunter and Batista. That, without a doubt, was the only thing to close with. But maybe moving Sean and them to second or third in the in the night, or even starting it off, I think that would have made a big difference. Let's uh, let's mention this is going to lead to a third match between these guys at the Vengeance Pay Per View. This time it's a Hell in a Cell, which Batista would also win. Let me ask you when, when you have a main event at WrestleMania that while yes, it drew money, it wasn't a great match. You try again here at backlash and now you're going to do it one more time at vengeance. Are you just saying, Hey, this is the story we had. Damn the torpedoes. We're going to do it. Or did you think, no, this was good stuff. Let's, let's do a little more. It may not have been the greatest match, you know, 18 star match in the fucking, uh, Korea dome or whatever. But it was a good story, and it was a story that had a lot of equity in it, and it, it was a good story that people were interested in and wanted to see. So while it may not have been the masterpiece that 
Wade Keller and Dave Meltzer would have wanted. It is a hell of a story that people were interested in. Well, they were interested in it. I mean, I can't argue that. I mean, the, the buildup in the story was tremendous. I do think a, a lot of wrestling fans were, uh, I don't know, not necessarily super excited about the actual match, but what we were excited to do is let you guys ask Bruce some questions. We made a post on Twitter at Pritchard show on an upcoming something to wrestle. We're covering WWE backlash, 2005 have questions, leave them in the replies and use the hashtag ask Bruce. Let's get to us. Bruce. We'll try to do as many as we can here. Uh, prime wants to know this time had rising stars like Shelton, Benjamin and edge while edges star power rose during this time. It seemed like Benjamin was falling down the ladder as time went on with Dave Batista and Shelton, Benjamin being former OVW guys. I have to ask how big is Batista's dick? Lots of people want to know, including our man concussed Jones. How would Vince describe viscerous chest? Mm. Massive. He let us down. Uh, Drew Landry wants to know word on the street was triple H didn't like losing, especially in big spots. Bruce, was this true with Batista? There's been lots of criticism over the years about triple H and politics, but I feel like he would have probably taken pride in helping quote unquote, make his former stable mate Batista. Right. Yeah. And, and again, like just the, the, the other day on, on SmackDown going through all of his WrestleMania where he's lost the majority of his WrestleMania matches. It's just hilarious that that narrative that people have is, is positively crazy. Yes. He took great pride in making other talent. Hey, I know we're not going to talk about current stuff, but since you brought it up as a wrestling fan, I got to tell you, it was pretty cool to see Vince McMahon on stage, sort of out of character busting triple h's balls was that fun for you to watch too yeah very much so concussed jones writes i absolutely love the tajiri regal pairing do you think they could have done more with them uh, did you know straight away that they were they were magic together well we knew straight away as soon as we put them together backstage and i thought that we got a shitload out of them they were so fucking entertaining and never disappointed with any material you gave them tajiri would make it his own uh, the Rosencoaster writes, what did Vince think of Christian's promo towards John Cena on the surface? I'm guessing if he's cutting a promo on Cena at the pay-per-view, there's plans for him in the title picture. What changed Vince's mind on Christian as a main event performer? I don't know that he had any designs on Christian being a main event performer at that point. I think that took a few years before he got to that point. Stuart Walter brings up a question that I've gotten a lot. I guess maybe in the last two years, top to bottom, which roster was more talented, the attitude era or the ruthless aggression era? That's a hell of a question. Um, because they were both so unique and the attitude era, you can't even say that the attitude era had more veterans on it. Cause I think that there were still so many that were coming up like rock coming up and triple H coming up, um, that were new talent. Mick Foley had a little bit of time. Steve had a little bit of time elsewhere. I think they're equal yet different. I'm going ruthless aggression era. RJ wants to know in your opinion, is Jericho the greatest intercontinental champion of all time? So a honky talk, man, baby. Racer Continental champion of all time. 
Uh, Captain Zach wants to know why was Hogan used here in random pay-per-views like backlash. He usually only appeared at WrestleMania and SummerSlam type shows during this era. What? He wasn't there during the era when we were doing our pay-per-views all the time. Uh, Instagram, a wrestling historian writes, was Marty Jannetty ever proposed to be Shawn Michaels partner before it was revealed to be Hulk Hogan. I know that sounds silly, but let's go down the rabbit hole. Had the whole Hulk Hogan Hassan thing not happened at WrestleMania, the storyline of, Hey, Shawn needs a partner. That could have been fun for it to be a payoff for Marty Jannetty. And, and you guys would have enjoyed firing him for the 38th time, right? Conrad, that's stupid. <laughs> stupid like that. Don't be hit me with stupid shit no more. That's just silly and stupid. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear no more of that bullshit, if you will. Uh, just Chris writes: The day after this is the famous Shelton Benjamin versus Shawn Michaels match that people still talk about to this day. After that weekend, where was Benjamin's stock within the company? You know, Shelton's stock was high, and I think that there were a lot of people that felt that Shelton could have been one of the guys. Unfortunately, for whatever reason it is, you would hit a wall with Shelton sometimes, and it just couldn't get to that next level. Uh, C.D. Riddy wants to know, does Bruce think Shelton Benjamin has fulfilled his potential, and is there still time left if not? I don't think that he ever fulfilled his potential. I think that uh, he could have been a much bigger star, really and truly do. And I think that, um, I don't know. I don't know that the audience would accept him at this point beyond pretty much where we are. Eric wants to know who came up with the brick in the briefcase. Fuck, I have no idea. Who would who would the uh, agents have been during this era in 05? Oh, that's probably me. So, yeah, you had your, your WCW guys. You had... Uh, what was Hayes doing here in 05? Hayes would have helped out there, yeah, definitely. And Arn probably would have been there. Huh? Probably yep. be... But I have no idea who would come up with that. Uh, Alden wants to know, is Bruce aware of heartthrob Antonio's status as an indie legend? And has he seen his new gimmick, Thomas Santel, a nerdy Crispin Glover from the back to the future looking retro wrestler? No. All right. I think maybe we should check that out. Uh, Jakey wants to know, with Trish being written off TV because of injury, was there ever any consideration to vacate the women's championship or is the division just an afterthought at this point? Just to give you a little bit of uh, context for this question, uh, Molly Holly has just been released. Uh, Lita was injured. Uh, Trish is also injured. So there's not like a ton of competition because those were really sort of the pillars of the deal. At the time, you just kind of want to wait and see where you're going to be. And we didn't know at that point the extent of the injury and what we may or may not have. Uh, easy Eddie wants to know did having the lady who masters put the master lock on be a bodybuilder, make this seem like a better idea than having masters put the master's lock on just any woman. 
Of course. Lots of questions from uh, Prine. Lots of questions like this one from Prine. Was there ever any talk of having Hunter beat Dave since Dave won at WrestleMania and then he wins again here? It does feel a little bit, uh, I don't know, unconventional storytelling. If you're going to do like a best of three, even though this wasn't marketed as that, you go back to back wins. Usually it's a B a that's not what we see here. Dave wins two in a row. Well, you don't want to be flipping the title back and forth either. And this is an opportunity. The whole idea behind it was to make Dave. Colby writes, it feels like six matches, uh, six matches is kind of light for a pay-per-view. Was this purely a function of the brand split or was there a concern? People wouldn't feel there was enough value. I think kind of a combination of both. And you always get stuck in that quandary of, do you put, do you put more on there and it's less quality or do you just keep the quality on and make it the very best you can make it? Was there ever consideration of perhaps having edge tease a cash in after a main event like this? I mean, we know he's ultimately going to cash in in the most special way possible and beat John Cena, but we're still months away from that. But this money in the bank concept is still fresh. Was anybody saying, Hey, what if maybe he doesn't win it here, but he just teases that he's going to, and there's always that threat in the back of your mind, or was it better the way it played out that nobody really thought about it until it was time. I think it was better the way it played out. This is 10 silly different ways you can do shit, but I like the way that it was done. Deep dive video gamers. So soon after this big Vist became the quote, world's largest love machine came up with that gimmick. He did because he was, I mean, it, you look at him, he looks like a love machine. And if you sit there and talk to him and, and I mean, Hey, this was, I mean, just why it didn't come out on camera. I don't know because man, Nelson was a entertaining son of a bitch. And I thought this was some of the best stuff he did. About every other question this, this week is why did WWE get rid of backlash as a branded pay-per-view? Hmm. I just think some, some things run their, run their course and it becomes okay. Next let's come up with something new. And it wasn't as established to hold on to like a SummerSlam or a WrestleMania. Last, but certainly not least every other question. It feels like, why was this show in new Hampshire? Can you talk about maybe how uh, the buildings were selected in 05, because it does feel kind of random that there's a pay-per-view in New Hampshire. Well, New Hampshire, first of all, it was great. It's a great building. And I want to say at that time, it was one of the newer buildings. We had a great deal with it and a very good relationship with the building there. It's close to Boston and centrally located for us, easy to get to. So it was the combination of all the above. Well, that's going to wrap us up here for uh, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, all about backlash show five next week, Tito Santana. What can we look forward to next week on a personality profile of one of the all time greats, Mr. Tito well, Santana. Uh, we're going to talk, uh, obviously all about his career, but experiences with me. And we're going to talk about the 1981, what could have been with Tito Santana in Houston, Texas with Paul Bosch and winning the three day tournament. Um, and what, what was proposed out there and what Tito did that kind of changed the whole landscape of his career for 
for the rest of his career, pretty much. So uh, good stuff. Tito's another one of those fine, fine human being. A great guy, a great story. Looking forward to a great something to wrestle next week, right here. If you haven't already hit the subscribe button, leave us a five-star review. If you think we've earned it, you can hear these shows early and ad free with some bonus content, not just from something to wrestle, but from all four of my other shows uh, and lots of other great stuff happening at adfreeshows.com. Follow us on Twitter. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. Our show is at Pritchard show. And we are out of time. We'll see you next Friday and every Friday right here on Westwood one. It's something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Shaka Khan. I hate Steven Singer. You know what else I hate? Everything happening in the world right now. Our hearts break for those that have lost loved ones. Those who are ill, struggling, small businesses, and everyone affected by this. Now, normally Steven Singer is in the love business and the happiness business. And this is the time when I would announce his new rose color for Mother's Day. But this year's different. I'm announcing his brand new I Love You 24 karat gold dipped rose. It's a beautiful pink blush rose color that will hopefully brighten your loved one's day. But Steven wants to put a little love in everyone's day, so he's using a portion of every rose sold to support local restaurants by purchasing catering for all the incredible nurses, doctors, first responders, and hospital workers who are all taking care of us right now. You can purchase an I Love You Rose and know you're sending love to the moms in your life while supporting independent restaurants and thanking essential workers. If you're looking to celebrate someone, simply say I love you or honor your mom on Mother's Day. Steven Singer is shipping as fast and safely as possible. Steven treats his customers as family and he's here for you. Go now to IHateStevenSinger.com for a free and touchless delivery and include a free personalized message of love. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.